I live my life a quarter mile at a time. Nothing else matters, not the mortgage, not the store, not my team and all their bullshit. For those 10 seconds or less, I'm free. On your mark. Get set. Welcome to now playing Fast and Furious Retrospective Series. It's gonna be an all time of the night. Bet you're gonna enjoy this. Hosted by Arnie. Look, man, I don't just think outside the box. I tear it up. It's my thing. Stuart. You're the last person in the world I expected to show up. And Jacob. Like it or not, you and your friends are a part of it now. I don't have friends. I got family. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and incentive to drive beyond the posted speed limit. I'm going to enjoy whatever Listener discretion is advised. Only live once. Let's do it. Talking over race. Today we're discussing Too Fast, Too Furious, starring Paul Walker, Tyrese Gibson, Eva Mendez. We're covering only her best works. Cole Hauser, <laughs> directed by John Singleton. Bend over, boys. It's Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, that is just too fast and too furious. <laughs> Stuart in LA. And this is the host that's not going back to Barstow, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that an REM song? Back to Barstow? I don't know. I don't think they went to Barstow. It does look like the end of the world there. (laughs) (laughs) And here we are at Too Fast, Too Furious, the movie Vin Diesel wouldn't do for $20 million. Okay, that's the question up top, right? Is like, too hard to re-sign. I don't get it. Why? Why? Why couldn't they get Vin Diesel? I mean... He's not doing anything else. But he did go through that phase, right, where he just wasn't doing sequels to any of his stuff. He didn't do the Triple X movie. He seemed too good for it. There was the Triple X. There was this. The only one he went back for was Chronicles of Riddick. Mm -hmm. And what he said was it was a choice between this and Chronicles of Riddick. But then what he also said was he saw the script for this and it was terrible. And even for the biggest paycheck of his life, he didn't want to attach his career to it. I applaud your integrity, Vin. He actually said going back, if he could do it over again, he would have come back. He said it was unfair to the fans, i.e. maybe he wants the 20 million, that he didn't do it. Well, the fact that he does come back into the series later says a lot, I think. But one would think that this would be a no-brainer. I mean, Bruce Willis did Die Hard 2, no problem, a couple years later. This is his series, right? This was his thing. You would think that he would suck it up and then use the clout and the money to do what he really wants. The pacifier? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what he did do during this time. That was like his last hit before a string of bad movies. That was a hit? Wow. See, and then I want to give him points. I want to give him those integrity props, but no, I'm going to take them right back. I forgot about that thing. Jesus. It's actually not that bad. I mean, it's his version of Kindergarten Cop. Which is terrible in my opinion, but okay. (laughs) It makes sense to try to follow the Arnold mold, right? Do a couple action films, then do a comedy. Oh, 
No, it doesn't. It made no sense that people followed the Arnold, but whatever. <laughs> but the thing I can't find out is if this movie would have been the movie had Vin come back. Universal, according to everything I read, commissioned two scripts, one with Vin, one without. But this movie, it just feels to me like had Vin come back, we'd have had the same movie, only instead of Tyrese Gibson, we'd have had Vin Diesel and some different quality to the banter. But, I mean, this is a buddy film about two cons trying to get their record clean. Why not Dom and Brian? Yeah, that seems like the obvious thing. There wouldn't be much of a change here. It, you know, there's going to be a crook given immunity instead of Tyrese. It would have been Vin. And let me just say that if Vin read the script and said it was shit and walked away, well, this script is also shit. So <laughs> not to reveal my hand too much, but at least it's on the same quality as what he'd read. Maybe they accidentally gave him this script. Or maybe he just saw the title. I mean, is this too silly to believe that they did the number two like that? Well, how would you alphabetize this? I mean, my question is, just coming from a grammatician standpoint, if you wanted to, you know, we're not putting it by number, we're, we're spelling it out. Is it T-O-O or T-W-O? T-W-O. I mean, when you look at the title, it's numerical two, fast, numerical two, furious. Yeah, that's too stupid then. <laughs> you know what? Kids these days don't know the difference. <laughs> so you can do either one. I've seen your text speak. I know how you communicate. And... I alphabetize all of this under F.A. And actually, the series I have of discs has numbers at the bottom, just in case you don't know the order. It's like <laughs> volumes on an encyclopedia. This is Fast and Furious Volume 2. No articles for you. I, I would have thought maybe 22, so I'm <laughs> glad they clarified. But Vin's not back, but we do have a, dare I say, quality director. Oscar nominated the youngest director ever nominated for an Academy Award John Singleton is helming this one. Boys in the Hood, John Singleton? It's not someone else named John Singleton doing this? Correct. Poetic Justice, Higher Learning, Shaft. Yes, this was my curiosity about this installment. I'm obviously not interested in this series. I don't care that Vin Diesel or Dom is not coming back. I didn't like him in the last movie. I'm fine with whatever changeup they can do. But yes, Going from Rob Cohen to John Singleton, I think, is an interesting choice. Because up until this point, John Singleton makes semi-political, sociological statement films. So I'm thinking he can bring some much-needed gravitas to this series. For a series that I thought hurt itself by removing the whole ethnic diversity and not exploring those themes, here's somebody that really should be able to do that pretty well. I don't know. I saw Shaft. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying he hadn't <laughs> sold out already. The indie 90s had long ago ended, and no one was buying his Rosewood and higher learning kind of projects. He was making quote-unquote black movies that were more populist, more action-driven. That's fine, but he was coming off Baby Boy with Tyrese Gibson. I'm thinking that, yes, this would be an opportunity to talk about racial subcultures, and this would be the guy to do it, because why else would you hire John Singleton? And Jacob, he should be up your alley. He specifically said, coming into this, he wanted to give it a Japanese anime and speed racer feel and make the movie feel like you were playing Gran Turismo. Yeah, um, I don't know if I want Speed Racer with this series, but okay. If you're going to go dumb, <laughs> grappling hook into a semi in a shootout with a trucker, that's dumb, but I can enjoy that. Yeah, go for a video game thing. It, it could win me over. 
Sadly enough, I've got to just point it out here, uh, John Singleton is the second victim of being associated with this franchise and having incredibly bad luck. You mentioned last week that Paul Walker, of course, his untimely demise was terribly ironic. Uh, five years after making this movie, he did run over a pedestrian and kill them. Oh, and to think, on all of the DVD extras, all he did was complain about Tyrese's driving. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he got off without any charges against him. I believe the person was jaywalking. I still think you gotta, like, go to trial, right? Like... Yeah, pedestrians still have the right of way. <laughs> yeah, even when they don't. Yeah, when you run over and kill them. I don't know, it's a strange thing, but yeah. He's in one of those clubs that, you know, with Brandy and Matthew Broderick of famous people that have killed people with cars. I didn't know that, but speaking of Paul Walker... By the time of this film, he had become a race aficionado. I think it was heavily influenced by the first film. He might have been a little bit into it before that. But the car he drives at the beginning of this film, his personal vehicle, he had become a racer as well as a surfer by this point and was very excited. John Singleton's big thing was to do in this film what they didn't last time. A lot of the stunts are driven by the actual actors and actresses. That might explain why his character is so radically different this time. I thought he really <laughs> wanted to get ahead in the police force. But yeah, in this movie, Paul Walker's Brian definitely just wants to drive fast. Oh, you missed the prequel film, Stuart. What? <laughs> I actually didn't. Are you talking about the, quote, turbocharged prelude? Yes, that was on my Fast and Furious 1 Blu-ray as well as 2. They really want to make sure I saw this. <laughs> it is a film that bridges Fast and Furious 1 and 2. And remember, I talked to you guys about the cut ending of part 1 where Ted Levine was happily driving Paul over to see Mia? Well, this takes a totally different turn, and Brian is a fugitive from justice racing his way across the American South from Phoenix to Texarkana to Miami, going town to town on the run from the cops and racing in a, dare I call it, avant-garde silent film? <laughs> Please don't call it avant-garde. <laughs> really, that's just so offensive to avant-garde. No, what yeah. you have is... A prequel would explain everything that happened in between the two movies. This is just minutia. I mean, this is like <laughs> yeah. the diner he stopped in, the gas station he got a lube job in. I mean, <laughs> where he bought the car. These things are not important. I wanted to know why he dropped out of the force and became a fugitive. I didn't necessarily want to know where he ate his pie and coffee. <laughs> I think it was pretty obvious why he dropped out of the fourth. It's because he's a criminal at the end of that movie. He's aided and abetted. That seems like the obvious place to go. I don't need a film in between that. I got it. Is it obvious? I thought he could get away with lying. He couldn't tell anyone, hey, the guy took the keys from me. I had no... I mean, you could say anything, right? He didn't have to own up to the fact that he handed over the keys. True, but... The fact that they claim he aided and abetted in this film and that he's wanted isn't a stretch either. I suppose. I, it, it makes the cops a lot smarter than I thought they were. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, for those who can't get enough Fast and Furious, this is out there on the Blu-ray, apparently on the DVD, and this isn't the first. For a lot of these films, I'm going to be talking about prequel homework that I have done. 
<laughs> yeah, it was on my disc. I had a weird menu option in which when you pop it in, you're basically given three opportunities to ride Brian's car, Roman's car, or Suki's car. I would definitely take Suki's. That's the one I took. And when you take it, it gives you the option of watching that turbocharged prelude. So that's where it is. It might be on all three of them, quite frankly, but uh, that's where I saw it. Well, this movie may be too fast, too furious for me because I actually was looking up the price of Paul Walker's car in this film thinking I might trade my American muscle Mustang for it. But then I saw a $101,000 sticker and... Donors, come on! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's totally worth it. (laughs) All right, well, this should be brief. Arnie, do you have a plot to this movie? I do, but Vin says it's shit. We may too by the end of this. All right, well, after the events in the first film, Paul Walker's character, Brian O'Connor, is a wanted fugitive who's been racing on the Miami streets. Soon he's captured by U.S. Customs agent Markham, played by James Remar. We're going to have a lot of questions, one of which is why customs agents are tracking fugitives. But the customs agents have teamed with the FBI to try to bring down drug lord Carter Vance, played by Cole Hauser, and they feel the best way to do it is to capture Brian and then send him in undercover as a driver for the drug lord. Because he did such a great job of capturing Vin Diesel. (laughs) The customs agents... Know about Verone's beating people up, know about his police bribery, know about his drug deals, but they can't make a move until they find his money. So once O'Connor can connect Verone to the money, then they can move in and arrest him. Now, they already have one undercover agent in Verone's employ. It's Eva Mendez's character, Monica Fuentes. She's been living with Verone for almost a year and sleeping with the drug lord, and yet they think they need to send in someone else? Maybe someone that doesn't spend so much time at the pool. (laughs) We'll talk about that. But to go in, O'Connor demands he picks his own partner. And since Vin Diesel wouldn't come back for $20 the person Brian picks second is Roman Pierce, O'Connor's childhood friend from Barstow, California, played by Tyrese Gibson. Pierce is an ex-con who blames Brian for his arrest. He's the only person Brian has arrested, from what I could tell. But the FBI agent Bilkins, Tom Barry, the only other returning cast member, offers to clear both Brian and Roman's records if they help catch Verone. So they go undercover as wheelman for Marone, and luckily, just at the time Verone wants to take his cash and flee the country, he has the two drivers race from the cops with the money, with the intent of killing them both when they reach the finish line. An early attempt to capture Verone was a trap, and Verone also finally realizes Fuentes is a customs agent, so he takes her on a boat. <laughs> Why not just kill her there? <laughs> I don't know. But thanks to their driving and some help from local race organizer Tej Parker, played by Ludacris, Brian and Roman avoid assassination and crash their car into Verone's boat. (laughs) That's some Dukes of Hazard shit right there. (laughs) (laughs) Saving Fuentes and capturing the drug lord. And with their differences behind them and their records cleared, they take some stolen drug money to open their own mechanic shop as credits roll. (laughs) (laughs) so there's more than one thing in this film that's ludicrous that's all i can say (laughs) yeah you know you're in trouble when ludicrous is the least ludicrous thing about it 
let's start with compliments because I only have a few. <laughs> but one of the ways that Too Fast, Too Furious is better than the original is I like the soundtrack more. You know, they're going for Dirty South kind of sound. This is the kind of ludicrous, Little John, Outcast kind of sound. It was a lot better to me than all of that techno crap that they filtered the last one with. I think that it's more in keeping of the times. It makes it sound more fun. I could just get into the more Miami flavor because right away the soundtrack is a little bit better. I mean, I'm not going to praise <laughs> it to high heaven, but I will say that the score last time annoyed me, and this one it, it sets me up for some cheese. You say one of the ways it's going to be better. I, I hope you're saying that's the only way it's going to be better than last week's. I do agree, though. I'd rather get crunk than go to the rain. Yep. I know this music, at least, so I'm not turning the bass down on my TV. And, Stuart, you and I are back at James Bond where your and my musical tastes <laughs> are just total opposites. I own all the Fast and Furious soundtracks. I owned them well before we even decided to do a retrospective. This is the one that gets the least play. Other than introducing me to Pitbull, it has done me no favors. Oh, he's in here? Yeah. Mm. This was back before he'd really hooked up with Will Smith and decided to remake every 60s song ever. But I'm not a fan of this soundtrack out of all of them. It just is a little too crunk for me. And I like Ludacris. I actually have several CDs by Luda. And his song for this one, not so good. You know, his role was supposed to be Ja Rule. Oh, God. They were going to bring Ja back. Was he in jail? He would only come back <laughs> if he got the Tyrese Gibson role. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John. He wanted 20 million to yeah. come back. <laughs> no, no. Not worth it. Ludacris is a more fun personality than Ja Rule, and quite frankly, my complaint is there's not enough of him here. That uh, Yet again, I'm fooled. You know, when we start here and there's a street race happening and they're one guy short and go call Brian, he'll be the guy to make it interesting and make everyone on edge. I'm thinking, okay, I'm finally going to get the movie I thought I was going to get last week, but this street racing scenario is again minimized. I think the only real street racing we get is here and then later they race for some new cars i was fooled too i thought luda had a fro <laughs> i i was not fooled i i'm just wondering how am i going to sit through seven of these films where there's an undercover cop in a race car in every film like how <laughs> thin are these plots gonna get i had a feeling we're gonna get much of what we had last week just redone here but i like this opening it's more fun to me than last week yeah it's, it's blinged out. Yeah, Artie, you're saying video games. Yeah, Ludacris with that fro. Is Suki showing up in her Barbie Ferrari? This whole opening race, this is not living life 10 seconds at a time. This is a long race. They're, I know we're going to drift next week, but they're drifting around corners. They're jumping off bridges. This is Hot Wheels here. This is not drag racing. Yeah, what happened was the first film was successful, and it was a pretty low-budget affair. And now every car company got on board. And so they went to the same guy who tricked out the cars last time. And their literal words was, money, no object. What cars do you want? <laughs> and so they got cars not even available in the States. And yeah, I like Suki's ride. I like Suki. She's just a fun character. You said not enough Luda. I think we needed more Suki with her pink Barbie car. and Yeah, if you're going to go for this flavor where it's just more amped up, more video game-ish, yeah, more Suki, more Luda. Unfortunately, we're going to get more of what we got last week, too, which brings it down. Yeah, I'll get there in just a minute, but I, I'm trying to stay positive here. I'm working really hard, too hard, probably. I would just like to say that if this beginning were the whole movie, 
I'd probably give this a green arrow. I think these people are fun. I think the races are decent. I don't think they're filmed quite as well, quite frankly, but they're flashy and there's clearly more money involved. And yeah, they're longer races. It's not just about the 10 second speed, as you pointed out, Jacob. So it's fun to watch them jump a bridge or not jump a bridge and all of that. I mean, cheesy, yes, but this is the kind of thing I thought this franchise would be giving me in large quantities. I actually really enjoy the characters in this race. You got Suki, you got this Hispanic guy that the credits tell me his name was Orange Julius. <laughs> and that actor went on to be the only good part in the film, The Benchwarmers. So, Benchwarmers. Yeah, the Rob Schneider. David Spade? Stop there. That's all you got to say. <laughs> Yeesh. I'll never know, hopefully. He's also on Prison Break. But I'm just enjoying these characters, the cars. It is a very fun scene and that they have to jump a drawbridge. But you say it's not filmed as well. I feel that Singleton actually just watched that last film and ripped it off because it's like, okay, in the first race, there's that moment where like Brian's jumping to hyperspace. Okay, let's do that. Let's CGI streaks outside his window. Yeah. And there's the moment where Vin Diesel's gear shifting and you follow the gear shift and it goes into the car's mechanics and Singleton's going to do that again too. It has a lack of creativity in my mind. Yeah, I, I, it's pushing it a little too much, and I'm not going to split hairs here. I just think that probably the racing was a little bit better last time. Just strictly take it as a photographic representation of street racing. This one, it definitely feels much more cartoon. Maybe that's better for some, but it took this movie into a different level of reality. Speed Racer, yeah, I was thinking more along those lines. Yeah, I don't get the more authentic feel. The opening of last week's film, I, I felt like I was really watching drag racing culture mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah, right. Here, no, no. This is a caricature of drag racing culture. Yeah, it didn't feel at all authentic, especially the crazy over-the-top people here. While I thought they were fun, it was like, I enjoyed Ja Rule in the last one racing for his menage a trois, but here it was like all four of them were that way. They were just... All extremes. Very extremes. I don't know why Suki's so happy to come in third here, and her car gets torn apart. She came in second, actually. She is second, second, yeah. How? She's the only other one that was successful in jumping the drawbridge. Her car kind of made it through there. It lost the bumper. Oh, Michael Ely doesn't count? I thought he got there. No, No, he crashed. Yeah, he crashed. Only two of the four cars hit the finish line, and Suki was number two. Yeah, Orange Julius pulled out before he even took the jump. Uh, well, yeah, I knew he was, I mean, they set him up to be the most contemptible, but I thought the guy in the yellow car, Slapjack, is, is what I'm reading his name was. I never heard anyone say that, thank God. Are these Transformer names or are these names from the film? <laughs> <laughs> the irony is James Remar did voice a Transformer, so we got kind of a crossover here. <laughs> you know what? Speaking of toys, I gotta say, after we get through this scene, I now kind of see what this franchise really is. You know, last week we spent a lot of time talking about Point Break and the influence on that movie, and, you know, I kept seeing Rebel Without a Cause and James Dean and our star here, but I don't play video games, but watching this plot morph into this whole kind of drug money caper that it becomes. I get it. This is Grand Theft Auto, the movie, right? They've never made a movie of that video game franchise, but it would have been very popular by this point. And it's clear that they're just going to go from city to city from now on using drivers to fuel criminal plots. 
I think there's actually a video game called Driver where it's some kind of plot like this where you're driving to do crimes or something. Yeah, yeah. But a popular trope in video games. Well, the one thing they didn't have in Grand Theft Auto, and I researched because I just screamed this is some bullshit, is tasers <laughs> to stop your car. EMP harpoons? Did they get these from Vin? He should have <laughs> used these on the semis. I thought that might be how they're going to rip off the pizza guy. There's like a Pizza Hut delivery guy that has to wait. I'm like, this is all a plot, right? Just to get those pies. <laughs> Hey, I kind of like it. It's stupid, but this series is stupid. I kind of <laughs> like the car taser. The fact, though, that it makes no sense. I mean, most of these cars aren't even metal. They got fiberglass bodies. <laughs> so what is it transmitting? I don't have to think about that because it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just happy because you're James Remar from the Warriors is the one firing it, right? Oh, you knew it. I was happy to see him here. Warrior is a big cult favorite movie of mine. I kind of forgot about this actor. He comes in and out every now and then. But yeah, it was fun to see him in the Ted Levine role, I suppose, that he's going to be the cop riding Brian and forcing him to do a plot. Here's the thing that I didn't realize. Now, I'm the only one of the three of us who's seen all six movies, right? Yes. And we can make it that way if, you, <laughs> if you'd like. I never realized, because I've only seen this film once before, that was enough. I was excited enough by the first one to see this in theaters and never, ever look back. But now I see this is really the template that the entire series is going to follow, starting with really part four. We're going to be seeing this kind of setup time and time again, where a couple of drivers need to team up and go against a criminal. And it's really a minor shift from part one where it was one undercover cop against a criminal where it starts being teams of people against a criminal so we're gonna get the oceans 11 of car heist that's part five part five is oceans 11 okay that's the one i'm supposed to like <laughs> that's what i was trying to get at with grand theft auto like that's what it seems like to me as someone that doesn't play those video games it's what i imagine those video games to be it's what this formula for this series is starting to shape up to be. You know, there was an ad on my DVD, uh, a preview for the Al Pacino Scarface movie, that it had been remastered and they were putting it out again. I couldn't help but think that they were putting that on this DVD because, well, that's where they're going to with this one, right? They're going to go and try and stop Al Pacino Scarface from, well, they don't want to have drugs in this. That would get them an R rating, but uh, <laughs> money laundering from drugs. Baby Scarface, a Scarface made for almost toddlers in this film. Like, we're told he's bad. We're going to see him torture a cop a little bit. But yeah, he gets one scene to be Al Pacino and he does kind of like slam Eva. Every time he wants a kiss from Eva, he's like puts her head in a like a headlock or something or smashes <laughs> her against a wall before he does it. She is so out of his class. That's what he probably would have to do. Yes. <laughs> Cole Hauser. <laughs> Honestly, my thinking was you couldn't get Vin, so you got his nemesis from Pitch Black? Because, Jacob, we've reviewed Cole before. He was the drug-addicted cop who was after Vin in Pitch Black. Barely remember that movie. <laughs> this brings back no memories of him. Yeah, I don't know this actor. I've heard this name bandied around. I, I know that he's worked for the last decade, but not in films I've ever seen before. I didn't recognize this guy. He actually didn't get the job because of Vin. No shock. He worked for Singleton in higher learning. Oh, okay. 
Well, I'll give him the only uh, props that I can that he doesn't try to overdo Al Pacino in this. He plays it really low-key. In fact, I'm seeing a different race taking form here. This is going to be a race about who is going to give the most wooden, horrible performance. (laughs) And we do have four drivers. I want to say there, you need four to race, and we got them here. With Brian, Paul Walker has always been terrible. He's even worse in this film. Yes, how does that happen? Yeah, in the last one, I actually believed him somewhat with the romance plot and the tortured cop bra thing. But here, man, I'm getting nothing off of him. I have seen deeper performances from Cardboard. I mean, I laugh at every line. It does, it's not even funny lines. He'll be just like, cops. And I'll be laughing because it's just, it's so poorly delivered. And yeah, the romance they're going to be giving him with Eva Mendez, she's terrible. This villain he's supposed to be finding, he's terrible. And his partner, the one that you claim could have been Vin Diesel, oh lordy. Tyrese Gibson. Am I the only one who likes Tyrese then? Because I think he brings some much needed levity to this film. (laughs) No, this film is all levity. This thing is floating in the air. It's so (laughs) light. Exactly. Singleton encouraged the characters to improv a lot. (laughs) Oh, oh, so this is an artsy film. (laughs) (laughs) I think only Tyrese was up to that challenge. I think from his singing and his stage performance career, he was more prepared to talk smack than Paul Walker, who was used to reading lines written for him. Oddly enough, I know a lot about Tyrese Gibson because of Facebook. Do you ever have friends that always <laughs> like something that one of their Facebook friends is putting up? A friend of mine on Facebook loves Tyrese Gibson and is always commenting on all his videos. So I've seen a lot of Tyrese <laughs> in the last two years, and he does improv is exactly what he does. He loves the camera, he loves to put it on him, and he will just freeform, sometimes talking earnestly about gender politics, sometimes cutting up trying to do comedy, you know, singing. Uh, The guy just is a ham. And uh, yeah, I think you're probably right. Out of the four here, he is probably the most willing to let it ride and, and play it loose, but I wouldn't say that this is a great vehicle for him. No, here, here's your Tyrese Gibson drinking game. Every time he says, Brian, take a shot and you'll be in the hospital. Like, maybe he was improving, so he never knew what line where he said Brian's name was going to get in there. But it just seems like, come on, Brian, drive faster. Come on, Brian, keep up with me. And then the bras. Here's the thing I love about Tyrese, the one behind the scenes thing that really stuck out to me. He was so obsessed with what this film was going to do to his image that he made them repaint his car. <laughs> Ruin it? And then he wasn't happy with the rims, and so he had to pay out of his own pocket for new rims for the spider he drives in this car. And because there are three stunt cars in addition to the hero car, he had to buy four sets of $12,000 rims because he was scared the rims of the car were going to hurt his rep. (laughs) Okay, I'm laughing. I thought he was worried that the shitty script was going to make him look stupid, which it does. But he just wanted to make sure he was in a cool car. All right. Well, you did that much, I guess. I think the biggest letdown with his character, Roman Pierce, when we meet him, he's a convict. He's under home arrest. He's got an ankle bracelet. He's doing a demolition derby. I'm like, okay, cool. We're going to have the drag racer and we're going to have the demo driver. Like there, we're going to combine two different forms of race car stuff. Nope, that doesn't play out. That was a big disappointment. I did get excited, though, when I found out he was doing demo derbies. 
And there's this whole implied backstory. Yet again, you know, last week it was that Mia implied that there was some complicated story about how this gang got together. Here it's implied that there's some long history with him and Brian. Well, we wait for about an hour for someone to finally explain it. And basically they were childhood friends. And because Tyrese got busted for stealing cars, I think. Yes. He hated Brian. I don't think Brian busted him. (laughs) No, Brian says he didn't. But because he had just become a cop, Tyrese blamed him because it was a big coincidence. <laughs> he just decided once he got arrested, he hated all cops, including his childhood friend who had enlisted in the force. Again, this is why I think this role would have been Vin Diesel, right? Maybe they'd captured Vin, Vin was in prison, and Brian would only do it with Vin. This whole thing feels so contrived. How many felon friends does Brian have? <laughs> well, here's the funniest thing is we get to that scene, yeah, like an hour into the film, we find out, I think we all the question why did brian let dom go in that first film oh we get it here because he felt bad about what he happened with roman like we finally get that answer to the first film yeah double huh i mean like that's (laughs) so he did nothing for to roman but he felt so bad about what he didn't do (laughs) that he let a criminal go Yeah, let's talk about what Brian does do here, because I hate this motherfucker in this movie. (laughs) Just the whole stare and drive scene that he literally drives up to intersections with stoplights at 100 miles an hour, not looking at the road, staring at Eva Mendes, like a staring contest with Eva Mendes. (laughs) Oh, I hate guys like this. This is not cool. Worth it. Totally worth it. I would take the sideswipe. I would take getting broadsided to steer at Eva Mendes. <laughs> Be that as it may. And it's not to ogle her. It is just to prove that he is so good behind the wheel. He doesn't even need to look at what's on the road. I mean, I hate guys like this. I absolutely hate Brian. This later he'll be driving backwards through traffic, giving people the finger. I'm like, weren't you the guy that in the beginning of Fast and the Furious couldn't even make a turn? Like, how did you all of a sudden become this punk hotshot? That was the shocker to me. His last film, remember, he was second best. He barely beat or tied Vin Diesel at the end, but he was always second banana. He was never as tough as Vin. He was never as good a driver as Vin. So now he's almost like a super driver. I mean, I guess that's what that little supercharged prelude was to show us, was he got better. Instantly, magically, yes. Do we know how long he's been down in Miami here? Does, is that covered in the prequel? No. Maybe, perhaps it's been years. They only show that he's on a freeway and there's an arrow pointing towards New York and an arrow pointing to Miami and he grins and the next thing we hear is conga music and bikinis. And seriously, it's like an Indiana Jones thing where they show a map and a red line going city to city. <laughs> yeah, avant-garde already, sure. It is avant-garde, yes. Too artsy for me. I mean, that is how Brian's establishing his dominance. And this is the difference between Tyrese Gibson and Vin Diesel. If Vin Diesel came back, he wouldn't let Brian be showboating like this. But Tyrese is just, he's the new person on the block. So Brian gets every hero moment. I don't know why he needed Tyrese there at all. Why does he need a partner to go undercover? What does Tyrese accomplish in this film? Again, I'm not even sure why you'd hire Brian, but the cops just to walk 
everybody through this, the cops have decided that the guy that couldn't catch Vin Diesel is the perfect guy to catch this Venezuelan drug lord. They're not even trying to catch him. They're going to have him drive his money and then arrest him. Like, all you got to, you don't have to drive fast. You just got to be able to drive his money somewhere. Yeah, all of that's very nebulous. And I've known of drug dealers who drive cars. And the whole thing with that is you don't drive fast. You don't want to get pulled over for speeding if you have a load of drugs in your car. You stay in your lane. You signal properly. You drive like an old fogey. Yeah, and they have accountants, too, to handle the money thing. They don't literally have to grab the bags of cash and fly it personally out of the... Everything about this is stupid. I'm going to try to meet it at that level and just enjoy this as Z-grade entertainment, but very, very stupid here. Not even a B-grade like last week. Now it's Z. Yeah, this is... Yeah, I mean, if I thought it was bad that they were trying to rip off the Best Buy truck, I mean, this is so much worse. So much worse. Yeah, that is truthfully the bad part about this film. I mean, they fixed one of the problems with the last film, which was... There was too long between races during the second act there. When Brian doesn't have a car, there's too long between races. Well, here, Brian keeps losing cars, and they keep coming up with more cars. In fact, there's a race that I don't even understand the reason for to get more cars. But while they fixed that, this plot is so mind-numbingly stupid and I didn't realize exactly the depth of the stupidity until I had to analyze it and start writing the plot summary. And I'm like, wait, why do they need a wheelman? They have an undercover person there who's witnessed torture, knows about <laughs> drug deals. Why do they need the money? If you can connect it to the drugs, that's usually good enough. I mean, are they just hurting for money? Do they need it to pay for the department? Maybe we just don't understand the way customs works because this is customs. <laughs> pushing this whole (laughs) undercover bust. It's like the FBI is on the sideline here. It's customs. Yeah, none of it makes any sense. What we have to believe in order to enjoy this movie is that this Venezuelan drug lord needs a driver to get his money to the airplane. Basically, it's in a trailer hidden behind a wall. He has two goons to carry the money, but he needs someone really, really fast to drive that money to the airport or, as we'll find out later, a secret destination that's not the airport. That's the whole purpose for what Brian and Tyrese talk about fifth wheel in this movie. That's their role as undercover specialists. But again, there are some decent races to get there. It was Eva Mendez's character who was put in charge of finding the wheelman. And to make it believable, she hires a whole bunch of goons who, again, I think Tyrese probably improv this, but he calls them like Fonzie and Fabio, which I thought was actually amusing. The only legitimately funny and not I'm laughing at the movie lines came from Tyrese. I didn't hear any of those lines. I mean, I heard all of the things that Tyree said, but I was never laughing at any of it. But yes, this race to prove who is going to be the best driver. What Verone has done is planted a Cuban cigar in the dashboard of his car that's in some lot, and he's sending everyone on a wild goose chase to get it. Whoever's the first to get that package is going to be the guy that has the luxury of driving him to the airport. (laughs) And aren't these all teams of two? Like, like, we, we know Roman and Brian are a tag team. <laughs> he couldn't Uber it? I mean, shit. <laughs> I, a, a, a shuttle would have been fine, you would have thought. <laughs> I mean, we got the British Bulldogs, we got the Bumblebees. 
I, I don't. I still don't understand why this is a tag team job. But here's the, I just want to point out while we're having a pretty good race, all of a sudden I have extreme rubbernecking because one of the people driving dies. They yes. get caught between two yes. semis, get crushed, and all of a sudden I'm like, I don't care who wins. Is that guy okay? <laughs> that was really scary to me because he was driving a Mustang. I drive a Mustang. This movie has been making me drive a little fast lately. This accident made me slow the fuck down. Yeah, the fact that nobody cares, and some of them are his friends, their pals, I, I got the impression from the pre-race posturing, but yeah, nobody stops, everyone's so worried about getting this <laughs> airport driver job. It's one less person to compete against, right? Ah, uh, yeah, but again, it just tells me that these are some despicable, amoral people, and yuck. There is no way, though, that that guy survived that accident, right? I mean, no, there's just no, no way. No, no. The, he got run over by semi-wheels. I'm wondering the same thing, if there was any possible way he survived. And the answer I came to was no, he is Mm-mm. dead, dead. Yeah, I have to believe that. Maybe that's why they didn't stop, was, you know, the, leave it for the mortician. I mean, from a cinematic perspective, though, when you see Roman and Brian... Go between two semis. It looks very simple. Hell, I've driven in California. Motorcyclists do this all the fucking time. Oh, they're supposed to, yeah, to get through traffic. They drive between lanes. It's it's actually very scary. You got to keep an eye open if you're changing lanes. Oh, my God. I can't tell you how many close calls I've had with people yeah. on bikes and known people that got on bikes that got into trouble. Yeah. So to see this happen to the car and see what could have happened to them, it dramatically drives home the danger that the driving they're doing is causing. That we'll never see again, though. No, no, but I think it's good to remind the audience, hey, don't try this at home, because you're probably the guy in the Mustang, not the guy in the Spider. Yeah, you're probably right. From that standpoint, if I think about it in that terms, yes, letting people know that there are fatal outcomes and consequences for driving recklessly is a good thing. But when everyone else is worried about the cigar and not worried about him, my heart went out to the guy. I could not even care about the rest of this chase scene because it was just so brutal to watch. I don't understand why at the end of the chase scene, Tyrese who's working with the federal government in a couple different branches and wants his record cleared, decides the best thing he can do is shoot at the customs agent. (laughs) They are kind of jerks. I do love that Tyrese finds a reason to take his shirt off. I feel that was an improv moment. He takes his shirt off to wrap around his hand and smash open the car window. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's like, I got to get the cred. I got to get the cred that I'm not a cop. So he shoots at him. That's how I took it, at least. Yeah, but you're never going to get your record cleared. You are going to jail. They know who you are. You have to report to them. I thought the reveal would be that he was shooting blanks. I, I really did think there was some trick there. But nope, he was shooting real bullets. The series has been very careful not to get too in love with our police force, hasn't it? I mean, our hero is a cop, and even though he is no longer a cop, and we have that continuously pointed out by the cops in this movie, he is working for the cops, he is following their orders, he is on the right side of the law. And yet, I feel like the audience for this movie would not like the fact that these are cops getting street racers. They want to find a balance in the middle. They don't want to make them villains. Anti-heroes. That's what you're looking for. exactly. They want to be Vin Diesel from the last film. 
<laughs> they need to work on that balance. I, I've, I've spoken enough about how Vin Diesel did not work for me as an anti-hero in that. But yes, they're trying to split the difference between drug dealer and cop. And that's why Tyrese fires a gun at law enforcement people, just to let you know that he's not one of them. But yes, incredibly stupid. And there's no reason. I mean, the cops, yes, they think that they're trying to run. And so maybe they... I mean, that's why they were there. Yeah, it should be said, Brian and Roman's cars, they have GPS on them. They are being tracked by Customs and the FBI. That's how they know they're at this impound lot. And it's not just GPS. It is such a good GPS, there is no (laughs) way to remove it. Right. As Luda will tell us as he's conducting a jet ski race, I want to hang out with Luda in this film. No one else. Seriously, I, I want to roll with Luda. He is, I like his dramatic scene. He hit a wall going like 120, and so he doesn't drive anymore. He's just going to organize all the races and collect all the money. I'm telling you, every time this movie is at his shop with his gang, the the Asian mechanic that raps and Suki and all those guys... It's doing right. You know, the racing on jet skis, the bikinis, all that stuff. This is what a B-movie cheesy Fast and Furious should be. I remember from the trailers, it's just chicks and booty shorts and bikinis dancing around hot cars. I don't feel like I've really gotten that in these films yet. I I feel a little ripped off. You're right, Stuart. I I want a B-movie, and there's not enough ass in this to be a (laughs) B-movie. Well, there is quite a bit of that in both films, but it's always at the races. It's never during the criminal subplots. Yeah, it's in the the first five minutes of the film. And rephrase that, Arnie. The criminal subplots are the plot. (laughs) Are the plots. (laughs) The rest of it is the subplots. These are the moments to wake you up from the doldrums of this horrible sub baby scarface stuff well i just can't even follow this sub baby scarface because after this (laughs) because of the gps they're like we need new cars so they bring fonzie and fabio for a race and it's actually a race that got my heart going i mean this one is the best race in the movie but i don't know why they're racing they say they need these cars about an hour in the movie before they'll ever drive them (laughs) i'm a little bit confused They say they need an exit plan. That's like way before any of this stuff ever happens. And we're going to see them checking out like a warehouse with Luda and they're getting these cars. And then we're not going to see these cars for another like 40 minutes. Yeah, it's just so scattered. And look, this is a show for kids, not not teenagers for kids. So maybe the attention span thing doesn't matter. It's just whatever cool things on the screen. No, I think it's for teens, younger teens, but teens. Tweens. I'll give you tweens. Yeah, those that are playing Grand Theft Auto, which probably we would be mortified to know the age range of playing Grand Theft Auto, (laughs) but that's who it's for. That's what this movie is to me. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing. But that race, it really did get me because the American muscle is winning. And this kind of went back to my impressions on the first film is I didn't think that these, they call them rice racers, could really keep up. And here we see that, yeah, a good Hemi can actually outrun these things, except for the Nos. And in order to win, Brian has to play chicken with Fonzie. And I'm like, they're both dead. They're going 100 miles an hour each. I don't care what kind of crash cage you have, a 200 mile an hour impact and you're dead. And that actually got my heart racing. It is the only race moment in this whole film, not even the semi truck rolling over the Mustang, that actually made me feel nervous. 
I get your point. I wouldn't go that far because, frankly, Brian didn't mean as much to me as the goon that got run over. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a bold move because Tyrese was losing the race. I mean, keep in mind, you're you're onto something there, Arnie. They always make Brian saving the day. Tyrese really, for much of this movie, even though they claim they need him, he's always kind of screwing things up here. I mean, he he sets the windshield on fire of the people that are following them, and well, that was needed because they had to go visit their cop friend. And if they were followed, they'd be found out. So that that wasn't a screw up. That was no. an intentional thing. Okay. Well, I just perceive that everything that Tyrese is doing, funny though you might claim it to be, was getting them into trouble. And he was losing the race. You know, it was a relay race. He was the first guy. He gave the other guy a comfortable lead. And now Brian had to make up the time. So yeah, he did something incredibly stupid that ended up to his favor. The guy spun out and he was able to catch up. Yeah, I claim that's the best car race in the film, just because it's the one that got me going most, whereas the other ones, I'm scratching my head as to the point. The opening one wasn't bad. The one that closes this film is just shit, but... (laughs) That's a race? (laughs) Can we just talk about the toilet bowl that is the rest of this movie? Do we have to? (laughs) Well, no, no, no. There, There is one other scene... Is there? ...that... Could have been good. I had hope for it. You know, one of the big mysteries, if we want to call it that, of this film is Eva Mendes' character. Has she gone too deep? Is she in too far? Has she actually turned? Like, they want us to believe that's an actual conflict in this film. By the way, she has. I just want to point out, yeah, the fact that it's eight months of at the pool. Eleven. Yeah, doing her nails. Like, she has clearly fallen in love with the lifestyle. I don't think she loves the guy. She's not trying to protect him, but she's going to take him for every petty, manny massage she can. (laughs) And they're in an early draft of the script. She had turned. And that was the big thing is she was like a triple agent is she was pretending to be a cop undercover for him when she had turned and was actually feeding him all the information about everything, which would have been a much better ending than she's just undercover for 11 and a half months. Let's bring in more undercover people who we know already to be ineffective to try to help. Would have been better, but too complicated for the 12 year olds this movie is geared towards. So what was the scene that was great with her? Well, no, it's not a scene that's great with her. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> I one, didn't see one. One of the better scenes. Okay. It, it, it totally blows it for her character is, you know, Brian and Roman, they've been hired. They're at this club. Carter brings them in to, like, really test them. Are they undercover cops? You know, will they try to stop what he's doing? He brings in an actual detective. And I have to mention that detective. Did you guys recognize him? Oh, yeah, he gets yeah. platinum headphones at this point. He always is popping up in our retrospectives. He was in Batman Begins, yep. and he was the clerk in Memento. Yep, and Halloween too. Oh, God, yeah, so <laughs> congrats. When you need a scumbag, call Mark <laughs> Boone Jr. <laughs> Carter wants this detective to call off the surveillance for 15 minutes so the drivers can get through and he's saying no i can't do it so he does this whole torture thing where he puts a rat in a bucket over his chest and heats up the bucket so the rat will eat into him i'm like okay we're, we're gonna get something gritty finally it doesn't go that way we're supposed to believe that eva mendez that she really has turned because she holds the detective down nothing in her face says she's enjoying that like i'm looking <laughs> at her she looks conflicted to me i'm not fooled i don't think she's turned i don't know why brian thinks she has but we're supposed to believe that 
Well, I'll admit she's turning in a better performance here than in her Children of the Corn premiere. <laughs> oh, <laughs> high bar, Arnie. <laughs> but that rat scene stuck with me. I couldn't have told you what movie it was from, but I told you I saw this in theaters in 2003. To this day, I remembered some movie where they put a bucket on somebody and the rat was going to eat their way into that body. That is a gruesome, gruesome thought. I wish they'd taken it further, but you probably can't on a PG-13 film. But man, that is a horrible, horrible torture thing. I would do whatever he wants. Yeah, I would have liked this too. I, I got where they were going with it, but I was just kind of annoyed with this club. Just the way it was shot. Like, who goes to a club like this? These girls are like in these chairs. They're not nude or anything. They're just like in these Austin Powers chairs, like spinning in the middle. Like the VIP is literally a couch behind a velvet rope with nobody there. I'm like, this place is lame. So I just didn't think anything this lame could have, have a cool moment. But yeah, they tried. This was their one big Scarface moment. Hey, it's Verone's club. Everything about Verone is lame, including <laughs> is, his club. It is, and that is true. I mean, the race is on, and at this point, I gotta say, Brian is comfortably in the lead. Eva and Verone are nipping at his heels, and Tyrese, you know, he's not out of it. I mean, all four of them are giving really bad performances. <laughs> I, hey, everybody is, even FBI agent Bilkins. I like him in this one. <laughs> At one point, he shows up in a Hawaiian shirt and he goes, it's my day off. And I think he might be legit. Like, he wasn't supposed to be on set that day and he didn't have his wardrobe. I love that scene when he goes to the demo derby to get Roman and he's just, you know, Brian and Roman break out into a fist fight and he's just kind of sitting back and enjoying. I don't know. I like Bilkins here. He's, he's not turning in an Oscar winning performance, but he seems to be getting the film at what level it's actually on. All right. I'm going to give this film a compliment. But it's a backhanded one at best. <laughs> I think it does a great job of deepening Brian's character and taking that romance he has with Mia and saying, that wasn't so special. He always thinks with his dick. <laughs> and Tyrese calls him out on that. He says, you've had a problem with women. He keeps implying that he's looking at Eva Mendez that... I mean, even in this club scene, we find out that Verone watched her brush something off of his shirt and got very jealous. He, like, clips a cigar as soon as he sees that. Very phallic reference and threatens him, don't ever touch him again. Uh, he's he's very jealous. So, yes, we're led to believe, I guess, that Brian could screw up the whole operation because, allegedly, there's a romance spark between him and Eva Mendez. Really? We're supposed to worry about that? <laughs> I think we were supposed to. Never went through my head. Yeah. I was with Tyrese, though, I, and especially when Eva Mendez shows up in that uber-hot crop top in Brian's bedroom. I mean... You're not talking about the pirate shirt, are you? <laughs> I might be, and she, <laughs> if anyone can pull off the pirate look, it's Eva. And again, much better than her Ghost Rider look. Just <laughs> going to keep giving her those compliments. The best Eva Mendez performance we've ever reviewed. Oof. I've seen her do better, but you're right. We haven't reviewed better. <laughs> And this is right when her star was really rising. I mean, I guess this was around the same time as Ghost Rider, but... <laughs> that, that's rising a star? <laughs> I guess her star was shooting pretty quick. But yeah, that whole romance subplot, it cheapens the Brian-Mia relationship, and I just never get any chemistry between these two, which means we really need to give some credit retroactively to Jordana Brewster because she probably single-handedly carried that entire romance subplot <laughs> and made it so much better. 
<laughs> or maybe it was Rob Cohen's fine directing skills pulling it out of the actors. I mean, I don't know here. Again, I want to remind you, my bar is not high for these series. It's not my thing. I'm not expecting these to be great movies. I thought I set the bar comfortably where any car could jump it. But last week, it did not. And this week, I don't even think it's going to reach the bar. I think it's going to hit the wall like two miles before. Loot is driving, huh? <laughs> yeah, this is not even kind of working. I mean, this second half of this movie, and most of it is a big chase, is just terrible. This is one of the worst written films we've reviewed because... I don't think Brian and Roman even need to go through with anything. The blatant disregard that Agent Markham shows for if they live or if they die, they could just file a lawsuit against the customs department and call it a day. I mean, there is no believability to any of these characters. I don't believe that Verone is evil enough to be this drug lord. I don't believe the customs agents need the money. I don't believe Markham is a good cop. The best freaking character in this entire movie is detective whitworth who has the rat going into him he is the best <laughs> thing of the movie and he's not even in a car he does seem pretty conflicted when he's looking at that picture of his wife you know verone threatened that he'd use that rat on his wife if he didn't get that 15 minute window and he doesn't give him that 15 minute window he calls the surveillance in he tells him to bust them when they get that money but that is the most believable acting, that he's looking at that picture of his wife. He does actually seem conflicted. I am wondering, is he going to call off surveillance or not? Not that it matters in this plot. I don't know why we spend so much time on it, but it's something that happens in the film. Yeah, there's supposed to be no police involved, and yet the police are all over everything. I, That's all because of Detective Whitworth. If Whitworth had kept his 15 minutes, Brian and Roman could have just driven their two cars... I don't know why you need supercharged fast cars for this, but just driven two cars the speed limit <laughs> down to Verone's boat and called it a day. <laughs> so he didn't obey the rules. He was going to put his family in jeopardy. Yes. Okay. I don't think it's because he's a good cop, he, because he said IA is up his ass. So he just sees a greater danger in not doing his job than he sees in doing his job. Yeah, at some point, the rat's going to get full. <laughs> But come on, the best performances in this, well, maybe not the best performances, the most enjoyable characters in this, the ones that I'm waiting to see how they're going to factor in, are Ludacris's gang. We know that Brian and Roman have gotten nervous about being caught in the middle of a police sting where they're going to go to jail if they run and they're going to get killed if they go through with it. Tej and his gang are going to be cooking up something to help these guys win in the end. So I'm thinking, I can't wait for them to factor in this plot. Suki was designing a car. I'm thinking, oh, she's going to do something cool. They're all cool people. That This will amount to something, right? Oh. Yeah, it doesn't amount to something. <laughs> Stuff does happen. <laughs> When I'm watching this and we get Tej's little monologue about how he doesn't drive anymore, I honestly thought, I'm not saying I wanted it, but it's Chekhov's gun again, right? If he's talking about how I don't drive anymore because I hit a wall, we should have that scene of him torn and deciding that he'll get behind the wheel again to help his friends. No, he just is driving later in the film. It's not even a cut scene. <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't matter that he drives. So the whole thing is... Brian and Roman, they pull into a garage, the doors close, cops surround it, then those doors open, and like a hundred cars shoot out. They've switched cars. They got in their American muscle cars. Remember those like 40 minutes ago? They're in those. 
Tej and Suki take the GPS cars to take it a different direction. It doesn't matter. Any one of Tej's people could have taken that car. It's not a big deal that he got in there and drove it. No, and yeah, I didn't want to see those people get busted. Like, great, they're the ones going to jail? Well... Bilkins, the only good cop in this entire movie, does say later on he drops the line that he dismissed their charges. Oh, good. I would have liked to have heard that. Because seriously, I'm like, of all this malfeasance, and they're the ones going upriver, <laughs> that is infuriating. <laughs> too fast, too infuriating? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm furious. They've gotten me there. Not last week. Last week, I was simply miffed. But this is, yeah, full-on rage here at the end with Dukes of Hazard shit, cars flying into boats. Ejecto Cito! <laughs> oh, God. I could not believe that oh. moment. I can't believe that made it in. Again, I gotta think that Tyrese <laughs> is improving here, but Ejecto Cito is the best he could come up with. This isn't even a Hispanic movie. Because, again, this is some bad casting. If you're going to cast a stereotypical drug kingpin, don't you cast a Hispanic in Miami? Yeah. But no, you get Cole Hauser? Yeah, I, I know. The casting was weird. Like I said, the compliment I can give it is that it's counterintuitive to the way I would have thought they would have played into the Al Pacino Scarface myth. I thought that they would have somebody with pockmarks, you know, doing lines of cocaine and doing that kind of craziness, but I think the PG-13 rating and the fact maybe Cole Hauser was a rising star at the time, maybe they thought he was a git, but uh, yeah, it's not working for me. And the henchmen, well, they're just Miami Vice goons. Yeah, and I love the scramble, though. I have to say, I think the scramble is a fun thing. And to see, I think the special feature said like 500 race cars come out of that. That's an impressive sight to see. And they did fool me. I had to rewind. Actually, I just caught it on the second or third viewing, thanks to the <laughs> U-Control bonus features. But I thought Suki was driving her pink car, because that pink car is heavily featured. And we see the driver, and I'm like, wait, how can Suki be driving the GPS car in the other? But if you look closely, it's a different Asian girl driving the car. So that should be the tell that Suki's in one of the other cars. The tell should be... You're an adult, and you know where this is going. Yeah, exactly. We knew that they were going to chase the wrong cars after that point. But the fact that Verone has gone through the trouble of finding these wheelmen, making them retrieve his cigar, and then decides he's going to send along these goons to kill them at the end, that's just not good business. And from what I've seen on The Sopranos, most gangsters start by being good businessmen and only whack when necessary. Nothing about this makes sense. They have two guys that could have driven the cars, but they needed faster drivers that they will then kill when they get to the boat, which was the secret place they were meeting up. When were they going to tell them? I mean, they could have raced right past that exit. Well, what's really weird is, so... They're in separate cars. Each of them have a thug with them, and they're talking on walkie-talkies. There's a thug. He could hear what Brian's saying, and he could hear, like, <laughs> that Tyrus yes. has gone AWOL. Like, he's not answering. That he, he you know, he, that doesn't clue him in that maybe you should put a gun to Brian's head and, like, take things super serious because he, he should know they're being double-crossed at this point. There are so many times when the goons should kill Brian. First of all, because it would make all the sequels better. I mean, when Paul Walker grabs the ejecto cedo button and starts pushing it, shoot him in the face. 30 times? Yeah. <laughs> it's not like he pushes it once. He's slamming on that thing over and over. And then when Verone says kill him, shoot him in the face. 
You know, there are just they just keep prolonging it like a bad James Bond death. And the same thing for Eva Mendez. Verone realizes Fuentes is an undercover customs agent. He just ordered the death of Roman and Brian. Shoot her in the face. What is this take her on the boat thing? <laughs> so we could do some boat, car, boat. Now, I, I've seen... 22 Jump Street. Did they mimic this? Is Wasn't there a whole jumping, trying to get on a boat in that film? That came out after this. I'm guessing they were parodying this scene. I'm just going to congratulate the film on being self-referential because if they didn't call out it was Dukes of Hazard, we would have called out it was Dukes of Hazard. <laughs> yeah. Next week, we're going to get The Incredible Hulk. We're going to get all of our 70 CBS primetime shows through the Fast and Furious <laughs> series. The Incredible Hulk? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I want to give the movie another compliment. The car crashing into the boat was a well-done stunt. I couldn't figure out how they did it. I had to go to the bonus features to figure out. I'm like, did they have some physicists and some like people going, okay, <laughs> the velocity and the speed and the distance and the wind is going to be this. So Didn't they just drop it with a crane? All right, that's what they did, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, not much of a mystery to me but what's what's so funny that does not like save the day brian pulls a gun out he shoots for roan in the shoulder but like there's brian and roman are so beat up from crashing this car they can't do much else i guess it's a good thing monica fuentes i guess didn't get shot so she could grab the shotgun and actually save the day yes Let's just point out, Fuentes does more in this climax than Roman. Roman does crash his car into another car, allowing Brian to fight his way to freedom. But Fuentes does more than Roman, and Brian does almost everything. Roman goes back for Brian. That was his one heroic moment, was to go save the hero so he could continue to be the hero. <laughs> Tyrese, how does it feel to be the Jimmy Olsen of the Fast and Furious <laughs> franchise? <laughs> He's worried about his image. Uh, it's not looking too good. I, I will give this film one more compliment. I Why? can find it funny because it, it deserves whatever it can earn. When they arrest Verone, Roman's like, don't drop the soap, honey. And Carter's just threatening, I'll see you soon. I'm going to get out. I did love that moment. And Brian's like, yeah, he is going to get out soon. He is going to come for you. I, I don't know if that's coming up in the sequels. I'm guessing not. But I thought that was a funny moment. I kind of smiled then. That was my question. Was our, I, I was hoping we were done with really everyone here, but this franchise seems to enjoy having even minor characters coming back in later sequels. I, I do know that Vin Diesel comes back. Are we going to see Cole Hauser come back? I'm just going to say it all matters. Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. There is a tight-ass continuity to this. I should have paid attention, I guess. <laughs> Jacob, we're going back to Saw, man. It all matters. Oh, jeez. Saw is your reference for tight continuity. Okay. For tight, convoluted continuity. No, no, for complex, yes. <laughs> yeah, con conva convolutacris. <laughs> so, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Too Fast, Too Furious? Jacob. You know, at the end of this film... We find out that Brian and Roman, they've stolen some of that money. They say, pockets ain't empty, cuz. Cuz they still got money, but guess what's empty? My bucket of recommends. This film is not good. There are moments, like, I could see if you're gonna go with this absurd car racing movie with Ludacris and Jet Skis and Suki, there might be something enjoyable there. But the fact that they want to hinge this all on this crime plot, but it's a PG-13 movie, I mean... Real Dukes of Hazard shit? Yeah, I do get a John Schneider vibe off of Paul Walker here. 
I thought John Schneider and Dukes of Hazzard was cool when I was like eight. Not anymore. This just skews so young and, and, and it hurts the movie. It, you can't do Scarface if you're going to do something where you can't have Scarface be Scarface. He's a scratch face. There's no danger here. I don't feel any tension in this plot. I, I really do feel like I'm watching cars run around in circles and I don't care about the outcome. A strong not recommend. Stewart. Look, my green arrows are always dependent on two things. Are the car chases cool? And is there anything more than that that's appealing? Last week, the car chases were cool. In both cases here, I feel like they're lacking. The car chases stopped being good early on in this movie, and the plot is way worse than last week. I mean, I'm fine for fast food entertainment. There is a place for B-movies. I am ready to give this series a green arrow. Why won't it let me? Why won't it let me? It's so easy. It's so easy to do this. And yet it's this movie is a complete and total failure. It's a cheeseburger with no beef. It's all cheese. Oh, my God. You just did a where's the beef for the series. <laughs> well, I am. I'm wondering. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm like Tyrese. I'm hungry. I got to eat. And there's nothing here to eat. I don't care if it's nutritious or not. I want sustenance. I want something. And this movie is too stupid to get a green arrow. (laughs) And I'm three for three on a red arrow. I remembered coming back to this that this was the worst movie in the series. And that's the biggest thing I can say is my memory is, guys, it doesn't get any worse ever. It doesn't even come close to this bad again. Thank God, brah. <laughs> I mean, that was my memory coming out of it, was how much this film sucked and how bad Paul Walker is as a leading man. Why didn't this kill the whole thing? I mean, honestly, it's kind of that bad. Like, it still made money, right? As far as it goes, this was the second lowest grossing of the series, but it still made $127 million, hmm. which is only about 15 less than the first one. I mean, I think because... Paul Walker isn't back next week either. Next week is basically a reboot. They're deciding to take it a new way. And so I think they realized what I'm realizing. He sucks. And the star of this movie is the car. And so this movie, there's not enough car. There's way too much Paul Walker. And I actually kind of enjoy Tyrese, but I can't enjoy him in this movie. The romance is completely ill-defined between Walker and Mendez, and there's no bromance I really get between Walker and Roman. When I'm watching this film the second time, I'm like, where's the moment where they stop being mad at each other? You know, that should be a thing. They're so mad at each other at the beginning, and Walker starts off the film like, I'm only doing it if I do it with Rome. And then literally five minutes later, he's like, Go back to California. I'm not doing this with Rome. (laughs) I mean, I'm like, where's the moment where they get past it? And you were asking where the meat of it is. I'm asking, where's the beef between those two guys? I don't think there's enough beef there. There is no beef in this movie. It's all cheese. Walker has the charisma of drywall. Terrible. I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, makes Keanu look good by comparison. In this movie, he truly does. So it is a strong not recommend, except... This is the blueprint. It never gets this bad in my memory. Uh. But when Fast and Furious hits its stride, this is the pattern that they're going to be emulating. I can't believe that they go back to the shittiest movie and go, that's our formula. 
but they, with the second movie, have established the Fast and Furious formula. It's going to take a couple more movies before they realize that. Jesus. <laughs> but this is the formula we're going to be seeing. If that's the case, if this is the foundational pillar that's going to prop up something that you're going to claim is awesome, how can you red arrow this? It's the founding pillar. Very simple. The continuity isn't so tight that if Roman shows up in a later film or Tej shows up in a later film, you're going to go, I don't get it. What's his motivation? There's no character development in this film. So if they just appeared in a later sequel, the way they literally just appeared here, what's the difference? There's nothing here you need to see. Now, this we can all agree. I hope that holds true. If I really like some later down the line, I don't want to have to say, oh, you really need to see two to get what's going on here. No. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. There's nothing good enough to make me reverse this arrow. No, there isn't. And this is our low point. And so a strong not recommend for this. And in fact, because of this one, because I walked out with such a taste of shit in my mouth from that theater, the next film is the only one I never saw in theaters. I have seen every Fast and Furious movie theatrically, except for three, just because I remembered what two did to me, and I wasn't about to forgive. But that's what we're reviewing next week when they go to Tokyo. Tokyo Drift. I don't even know what that means. We'll find out. But in the meantime, let's say we up at a nickel over at our Kickstarter page. We are about halfway done with the Kickstarter, and we really need your support to hit our stretch goals. We need you to go and help us, because if this is the first time you're hearing about it, we're trying to take Now Playing and not just keep doing the podcast, but do a book and bring you 100 extra reviews. Technically, 300 reviews, because three of us are going to review 100 movies. That's right. Arnie, Marjorie, Jacob, and I are all going to take our reviews to the print, maybe even to the page. We'll, we'll see how it goes, but we're trying to publish it as a book. There are different stretch goals that we're asking for, but it's far more expensive than you'd ever think. We need help in order to do this, but it's something I really hope that we can do this year. And this is an exciting book. It's not just words. We want to have art in there, and that's part of the price. we got to have lawyers. We're dealing with Hollywood. We don't want to end up on the wrong side of the MPAA. So we got lawyers. We got artists. We're not getting rich off this. I'm not, I'm not going to be buying a souped-up Jetta no. <laughs> from this Kickstarter. Here's the thing. We just reviewed a shit movie. Yes. Guess what? Every movie in this book is a movie that at least one of us really champions. It, the, it's underrated movies we recommend, and a hundred of them. So these are the movies you might not have seen. We're going to try to help you find these buried gems, either movies you've heard are bad, and we go... No, you heard wrong, or movies you might not have heard of at all just because they didn't get the press they might have deserved. This is a hundred movies you won't hear us review without this book. So please, head to our homepage, click the banner at the top, go to the Kickstarter, pledge what you can. Kick it a nickel. If you can, do what they bet at the beginning race, 35 large. I mean, that would really go a long way to help us. <laughs> you get a cool prize, too. I mean, you should look at some of the uh, things you're going to get out of this. Shows that were locked up in the vault, being on the podcast, picking a movie for us to podcast about. And we've listened to your feedback. People wanted exclusive Kickstarter podcasts, so we've added four. Each of the hosts myself arnie stewart marjorie we all just picked a film a one-off so we got kubrick with a clockwork orange i picked super eight i brought it back from the dead we said we wouldn't do it because it lost a green lantern 
I'm using this opportunity to say, no, let's review that. Definitely better than Green Lantern. We got Xanadu. I don't know what that's all about. I just hear it's crazy for Marjorie. And if you can bring back Super 8, I'm going to bring back Shocker. I was rooting for Shocker in the polls. It lost to They Live, which we're going to be reviewing this Friday. But for the people who wanted to hear that, who back us on Kickstarter, you and you alone will be getting the Shocker podcast and... The only way to get those is through the Kickstarter. We're not planning any DVD releases with these. We're not planning any donation drives with these. These are just for the people who come and back us because if they do that, they're also going to get an ebook. And if we hit our stretch goal, they're going to get the audiobook that people have also asked for. We've heard your feedback. You want an audiobook? It's going to be long. I mean, audiobooks that are unabridged. A lot of work involved. Yeah, it's probably going to be, at a guess, 20 to 30 hours of audio for an audiobook. But we can only do it with your support. We only have 15 more days in this Kickstarter. We are exactly at the halfway point. We hope you'll help carry us over the finish line. And to those 474 people who have pledged, and the by and large, you guys have pledged a lot. Thank you so much. We had no idea how this Kickstarter would go, and that we hit our base goal in just a little over a week, and that you guys have carried us so far that we're now over halfway to our stretch goal. Seriously, thank you. It makes all the work we do week after week so worth it to know you enjoy the show and want to see us go to the next step of book reviews and to keep doing what we do. And we will keep doing what we do this Friday with They Live and then back next Tuesday with the Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift because that's how we roll. Father, thank you for the gathering of friends. Father, we give thanks for all the choices we've made because that's what makes us who we are. Let us forever cherish the loved ones we've lost along the way. And most of all, thank you for fast cars. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. You tell your boss exactly who did this. Tell him there's more coming. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another Fast and Furious movie review. You gotta get out of here. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find more movie reviews, including Pitch Black, Rambo, RoboCop, The Avengers, and hundreds more. You say what? This just went from Mission Impossible to Mission and Freaking Sanity. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss this review with other listeners. You're in. There's always room for family. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Like a whole lot of vaginal activity to me. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. Nice See exclusive videos and interviews on the Now Playing Podcast YouTube channel. You can find the link on our homepage. I'll see you soon, Toretto. Your pockets ain't nervous. Ours are empty. We hungry.
Now Playing is an independent podcast with no sponsors or ads. It's donations from listeners like you that keep Now Playing on the air. You got the best crew in the world standing right in front of you. Give them a reason to stay. You can give money by clicking the support link at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. You don't realize how much you appreciate something until somebody takes it away. Everybody take a real good look. This is what you call mutual respect. All right, let's clear out. Anybody down for somebody? Now Playing's Fast and Furious series is edited by Heath, Casper, and Arnie. Let's put all this mess back together. That's going to take a while. Then you better get started. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. Why me? Because you got the biggest mouth. That's the damn show. Now Playing is not affiliated with Universal Pictures or the makers or distributors of these films. The film discussed in this podcast is the intellectual property of its copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. You see, I got a problem with authority. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just because you know how I ride doesn't mean you know me. Show me how you drive, I'll show you who you are. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Money will come and go. We know that. The most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. Right here. Right now. Salute me, familia. Video games. Well, let's not forget the big one, guys. Grand Theft Auto. Isn't that what I just said? Yeah, oh. Stuart said that. Okay, I thought you... I, I heard Driver, <laughs> and I'm like, wait, what about Grand Theft no, Auto? No, okay, sorry. Stuart, yeah, Stuart started with Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, that was, that. that was... I thought this was Grand Theft Auto, the video game. Ah. Or the movie. I will I will readily admit I was uh, distracted because my computer is starting to crash on me, and I'm trying to fix it. Give me just one moment. It's, it's telling me I'm out of disk space because I have a 300 gig log file, and there is no reason for this 300 gig log file. That's a big log file. Yeah, no kidding. And it just keeps growing. I thought maybe the cop sh- shot an EMP harpoon into it. <laughs> We're going to get to the EMP par- harpoon next, <laughs> but uh, I'm hoping that I can regain this 300 gigs of hard drive space because I, I won't be able to record the show if I can't. Or we could just stop now and give <laughs> her not recommends. <laughs> the show's over too fast. We, we've said all the po- we've only we've been mostly positive. So yeah, far. no, I really I've, I've covered all the bases. The rest is, is yeah. shit. Now that we're ten minutes in, we'll get negative. All right, it fixed. So then Brian Walker, who was used to reading lines. Brian you mean Walker? Paul Walker. <laughs> yeah. Then Paul Walker. I think he was more ready to talk smack. Yeah, those that are playing Grand Theft Auto, which probably we would be mortified to know the age range of playing Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> but that's who it's for. That's what this movie is to me. I play Grand Theft Auto. Well, I, th- I think he's mortified if they're young. <laughs> okay, yeah. I thought you meant old people shouldn't play Grand Theft no, Auto. No, you know, like six-year-olds <laughs> are going to pick up a wrench and beat the hooker after they have sex with them. Yeah, you could kill all the hookers you want, Arnie. <laughs> yeah, well, I just expect that from you. <laughs>
You said you wouldn't talk about that on the show. Ah, <laughs> uh, now I know what the chocolate strawberries are all about. <laughs> You'll never know about the chocolate strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody's ignoring the Sanka coffee. <laughs> Brian and Tyrese have gotten nervous. Brian and Roman, if yes. you, you can't, you gotta, right, you gotta right, can't yeah. stick to the characters. <laughs> we, Paul or Tyrese or yeah. Brian and Roman. We know that. So they've recruited Luda, Luda and his gang to help. Tej. No, I'm not gonna say that. They've recruited Luda and his gang. Luda's in like four more of these movies. Oh, is he? Yeah. He comes back? Yeah. <laughs> So call him Tej. No, I don't. I didn't want that spoiled. Oh, wow. I, I wanted I the joy of finding out Luda was in Te- each film. See, I could never understand what they were saying. Tej, Tej or Tej. Tej. It's on the back of Brian's shirt for half the movie. No, I I can read the letters. <laughs> I still don't know how you say it. Tej. What is that short Tej. for? I don't think it is. Tej. Tej. I. Ugh. All right. <laughs> I just hate saying this. All right. Now you know how I felt during Lord of the Fucking Rings. <laughs> Yeah, it is. I'm like, ugh. The, the fact that Tej is on Legolos and yeah. Ewan level is yeah saying something. 